0: Will you please rise for the reading of today's scripture? Today's scripture is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. and they shall name his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thank you, Jackie, for reading our lesson. It is good to be together on this uh, sleepy Sabbath Sunday morning. Uh, We welcome each of you, and especially those of you who are visiting with us. We look forward uh, to Tuesday night. I told my wife uh, last night I was slightly intimidated when I counted that I'd be preaching 10 times in the next three days. Slightly intimidated uh, and so grateful to God for the privilege that we have of welcoming this community Uh, to worship Christ. And we pray uh, as you find your place on Tuesday night that you will join us and that you will welcome those who come as well on Tuesday night. Uh, Thank you to Marsha and Andrew for uh, a very, very appropriate song for this text today. Uh, To Jackie for reading, Laura, thank you. To our musicians and Toy, uh, who is still learning to pray, Uh, we're thankful always to her uh, for leading us to the throne of grace. So today we're concluding a series that we started three weeks ago called Expecting. Now just three days before the day, which is a signal to me and most men that tomorrow will be your shopping day. We talked about what it means as a faith community to expect the unexpected, to live on ready, to be prepared to live every day as though He's coming today. We talked about two weeks ago the fact that not only do we expect something of God, but He expects much of us. In fact, Jesus and John's preaching, John the Baptist, begin with the same theme, repent. The word is metanoia. It means change directions. It means acknowledge your need, confess your sins. It means come to Christ confess your brokenness. And then last week, we talked about a subject that I don't remember talking about before. We talked about disappointed expectations. Wilderness moments, midnight moments, where we pose the question, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, then why am I in this mess? Why the pain? Why the grief? Why the captivity? And we noted that Christmas doesn't just come in hues of green and red, but sometimes it comes in blue. I remember a song that Bob Dylan wrote called Tangled Up in Blue, and so it can be during this season. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about unexpected news, or let me translate it breaking news which is always around us. Maybe you've had one of those moments where it seemed that life was rolling along pretty well, all was right with the world, and then the phone rings, or there's a knock at the door, there's a letter in your mailbox, there's a text or an email, and suddenly, unforeseen, your whole world changes. It's interesting that Matthew cites such a moment in the life of a carpenter from northern Israel in the hills of Galilee in a little town called Nazareth. His name was Joseph. Maybe I imagine that he was in his shop one day filling an order, cutting a frame, sanding a table, and boom, out of the blues, breaking news, newsflash. She's pregnant. Mary, his betrothed, engaged, his intended, his fiance, is expecting, and there's a couple of concerns here. One is they haven't actually tied the knot, and two, they haven't consummated the marriage. So as you can imagine, Mary's not the only one suffering from morning sickness when Joseph here's this news. That word, betrothed, it's an interesting word. It's similar to our process of engagement, except it's much more binding, or at least it was in the first century. In fact, if an engaged couple, Jewish couple in the first century, were to split up during the betrothal, it required legal documentation. You had to have a written divorce. If the groom happened to have an accident and die during the betrothal, the bride was treated as a widow. And so Matthew is saying that these two, Mary and Joseph, were as good as married, though they would not cohabitate until after the wedding. Now, I've done a lot of weddings. Greg and I were discussing this last night. We've done a lot of weddings here. In 37 years, I wish I'd kept count, hundreds of weddings, And I've seen a lot of drama, as you can imagine, (laughs) a lot of drama sometimes related to the mother-in-law, sometimes to the mother of the groom. I've seen every conceivable situation. I've seen people at the altar upchuck. I've seen them fall out. I've seen everything that you can imagine, but I've yet to see anything like what Matthew talked about. In fact, if I had been the rabbi on call at First Methodist in Nazareth, I probably would have counseled this couple to hold off, or let's, let's get some help. Let's send them out back and get some therapy. I might have even said, I'm not going to do this wedding. I think we ought to cancel the whole thing. I was reading recently a situation in Chicago Four days before the wedding, the groom had a change of heart. He changed his mind. He called the whole thing off. Never mind that they had been dating for seven years. They were engaged for three. Never mind that everything was ready. She had her dress purchased. He had his tux. The hotel rooms were booked, the church reserved, the bulletins printed. The reception prepared. And in the 11th hour, he got cold feet. Well, she didn't take it so good. In fact, the article said she sued him for the cost of the wedding. Are you ready for this? $95,468.48. And I thought to myself, his feet are going to be cold for a long time. Now, a pastor shouldn't tell a story like that in the same year that his daughter is about to get married. But that story from Chicago pales in comparison to the one in Nazareth. An arranged marriage, think about it, a signed contract between two respectable families in the same synagogue, in the same Sunday school class. A pact made by their parents when they were kids, and then, just before the rehearsal dinner, unexpected news, this bride is great with child, and Joseph is not the daddy. That takes the cake, literally. Now, at this point in the story, Matthew says something Important about the character of Joseph. Listen to this. He says, Now Joseph was a righteous man. The word righteous in the Greek is dikaias, dikaias, which literally means to be upright, it means to be virtuous, or it means to be law abiding. What it means is that Joseph knew the scripture, he knew the Torah. In fact, He, like others, probably knew it by heart, and he kept it to the letter. Nobody had to tell him what Deuteronomy 22, verse 23 says, If a young woman is engaged to be married, and a man meets her in the town to lie with her, you shall bring them both to the city gate and stone them to death. So shall you purge the evil from your midst. That's in the Torah. Now, some would have referred to this as an honor killing. Of course, that's an oxymoron. There is no honor in that, but it's in the Torah. And a righteous man, Diakos, keeps the Torah to the letter. Now, we know at this time, or at least Josephus, the Jewish historian tells us, that in 70 A.D., when the Gospel of Matthew was actually written, this decree from Deuteronomy had been mitigated. It had been softened in rabbinical practice. But let's face it, this situation is still a scandal. It's severe. It's humiliating. And if Joseph, in a patriarchal culture, wants to maintain his dignity, There's going to need to be a church trial in the synagogue with consequences because his honor is at stake and he had a reputation to protect. You don't hide these things in the first century in the synagogue. You expose them so that you purge the evil. This is what you do if you are a righteous man. But I want you to listen again to verse 19. Look at this. Mary's husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now pause it there for just a minute because I don't know if you are, but I'm a little confused at this point. How can you be righteous and dismissive at the same time. How can you keep the law and become lenient? My question based on this scripture is, is Joseph being gracious in spite of his righteousness or because of his righteousness? And then notice this. He decided to have a gracious parting before he ever had the dream and before he ever received the message from the angel, while he thought in his mind, she's been unfaithful, she's cheated on me. Now, this is a deeper form of righteousness with mercy. He could have exposed her. He could have made an example out of her and at the same time promoted his own Reputation in the community, and I assure you, there would have been a few elders at the synagogue who would have patted him on the back and said, Joe, you did the right thing. You did what you had to do. But this is not your average Joe. Something was happening inside this carpenter. It's something that happens to you, it's happened to me. There is sometimes within our hearts, in the wee hours of the night, a clash, a battle between law and mercy. Joseph in a quandary. Not every faith dilemma is an either-or. Joseph is thinking in his mind, law without mercy can be destructive, but mercy without law can be permissive. And yet, before the angel ever appears or says a word, Joseph is opting for mercy. (laughs) He's not your average Joe. Now, is it just me or is it ironic that one day the child that Mary will deliver will stand and say to his followers, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Wonder where he learned that. And then this dream. One night, while Joseph is tossing and turning with this quandary, this dilemma, the angel appears. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Have you ever noticed that's always the first thing out of the angel's mouth? To shepherds in a field in Luke 2? Don't be afraid. To women who come to anoint a body at a tomb, don't be afraid. Joseph, son of David, you have nothing to fear. Take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she's going to bear a son, and you get to name him Yeshua, Jesus." That message initially sounds a little inconsistent with the law. You purge evil, you don't dismiss it quietly. And I'm wondering now if this angel even knows the Torah. Besides what the angel's saying, it's absolutely impossible. A virgin birth? It's impossible. I think if I'd been Joseph at this point in the dream, I might have said, Lord, could you send me another angel? This one's ruffling my feathers. Besides, nobody's ever going to buy this story. Try explaining that to your neighbors about your intended. She's pregnant of the Holy Spirit? The world will never believe this. And at this point, I can almost imagine the angel saying to Joseph, I'm not asking you to explain it. I'm asking you to do it. I'm telling you to marry Mary. (laughs) And he did. (laughs) Even though it looked like on the surface that Joseph is forsaking the letter of the law, he's actually fulfilling the heart of the law. And there's some irony here again. Because 30 years later, Mary's boy is going to stand on a mountaintop and say, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never get in the kingdom. Where on earth did Jesus learn that? I think I know he learned it in a wood shop from his adopted father, who showed him the meaning of righteousness. I'm telling you, this is not your average Joe. I love that Joseph got to name him, don't you? Those of you who have adopted, who have stepchildren, there comes a process when the children stop referring to you as stepdad. You become just dead. I love that Joseph got to name him. In the Hebrew tradition, the one who names the child claims the child. He's told what to name him. The name is Yeshua, which is Hebrew for Joshua. You remember Joshua was the one who succeeded Moses, the deliverer in leadership. And so, Matthew is saying, Jesus is the new Moses, this is the new Joshua, and his name, Jesus, literally, you know what it means? God helps or God saves. But what's interesting to me is that Joseph didn't just give Jesus his given name, he gave him his last name, his surname. You say, where, where do you see that? Jesus has a last name, and it's not Christ. That's his title, that's his function, the Messiah. But if you look at the 17 verses immediately before what Jackie read, you will see Jesus' Ancestry.com, his genealogy. Joseph gave him his last name, David's son. Jesus, David's son. Isn't it wonderful to live adjacent to David's son county so that you might be reminded of Christmas all year long? He gave him his name, Jesus, as a son of Joseph, because he received the family tree, the lineage, and all the rights and privileges that come with it He's also a son of David, which is a fulfillment of the Scripture and of Messianic expectation. In the scandal of an unexpected pregnancy, God delivers. And Joseph names him Jesus. And it's his righteousness that becomes our salvation, not our own. It's his I think the greatest miracle in this story is not just the virgin birth, although I believe in that, and any God who can pull off a resurrection, what's a virgin birth? But the greatest miracle, I think, in this story is in verse 24. Here it is. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did what the angel commanded. He did it. I've always been hurt for Joseph because he gets almost no press in the New Testament. Not a word from his lips that he said is ever recited. We know one thing about Joseph Davidson. He did what the angel commanded. Even when he had cold feet, he was obedient. And his obedience became his reward. I've got one example and I'm finished. I remember a righteous woman who was in one of our churches. Her name was Hazel Cook. She was in her early 80s, the first time I met her. And she came to see me one day. She had a problem in her family. She said, we have a teenage granddaughter who is pregnant. She's 16. The family's been scandalized by this. The family's embarrassed. They're disappointed. They're mad. They're concerned. And Hazel, this woman in her early 80s, said, we all got down in the floor and kicked and screamed and fussed and whined for an hour. And then finally, I stood up and I looked at the family and I said, it's time to get up. We have a child to raise. And the baby was born and they named her Mia. That name means mine, mine. Hazel's first great grandchild And she loved that baby like there wasn't another baby on the face of the earth. I was thinking about Hazel this week. She died five years ago. And somehow I was pawing through some records and I found Hazel's daughter's number. Her name's Karen. She lives in Marietta, Georgia. And I just called her out of the blue. She was surprised to hear from me. We reminisced about her mother. And then I said, Karen... Let me tell you the reason I've called. I wanted to find out about the baby, what's become of her. Mia, she asked. I said, yes. Well, the baby's 21 years old, she said. She's had a rough time. Her parents divorced. She went through a rough patch for a while. But the good news is she's back in college. She's majoring in English. She wants to be a teacher because she loves children. I said, well, English will be a good excuse for her to teach kids what it means to be merciful, to be righteous with a gentle caress. And by the way, I think I know where Mia learned that. She learned it from her great-grandmother, who's a righteous woman. I am amazed at what God can do with the unexpected. Even with cold feet, you can still obey the angel's command. And when you do, obedience becomes its own reward, and you will never be an average Joe. In Jesus' name.